You're listening to The Residential Movement, where the focus is on making in-home dental care normal instead of novel or niche. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Robinson, a house call dentist with a lot of passion for reaching patients who are best served in their home or residence. I'm here to encourage, equip, and empower dentists like you to begin offering in-home dental services for patients who cannot get to the office, while also enjoying a more balanced work life. We discuss everything from dentistry, business, ethics, mindset, and more. Listen in to learn how you can become a part of the residential movement. Hello there. Whether you're a longtime listener or a brand new listener, I want to give you a very warm welcome to this episode 55 of the Residential Movement podcast. Thank you for tuning in this week to learn more about house call dentistry. This episode is very special because you're about to hear a conversation between myself and Joyce Go. Joyce has nearly 10 years of experience in the portable dentistry space. She is very passionate about meeting the oral health needs of the underserved. In the past, she's coordinated dental outreaches in underserved parts of Asia and Africa. Her mission-mindedness carries over into her current role as the Senior Vice President of Business Development at Enable Dental. At Enable Dental, she develops strategic partnerships with large organizations to bring oral health care to seniors and adults with special needs. Enable Dental is actually a portable DSO. Now, we all know that there are differences between brick-and-mortar DSOs and brick-and-mortar private practices, but I hadn't ever spoken to someone involved in a portable DSO. My only experience with house call dentistry is my own private practice. So listen in to learn more from Joyce from Enable Dental. All right. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. I have a very special guest to introduce you to. This is Joyce Go of Enable Dental. And I'm so excited for you to listen to our conversation today because Enable Dental is actually a portable dental DSO. They do care very similar to the care that I offer in my practice. But I know a bunch of you are interested in offering house calls and serving this patient population that we serve, but maybe are on the fence about whether or not to own your own business or what are other modalities in which you could offer house call services. So we're going to talk to Joyce about Enable Dental and hear about everything that they do and everything that their dentists do. So welcome to the podcast, Joyce. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Excited to share our experience and excited to hear about your experience as well and hopefully provide some important information to those wanting to break into portable dentistry. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. So Joyce, do me a favor and just for starters, tell my audience members where exactly Enable practices. I know it's all over the place. Yeah, it's all over the place. So we started off in Texas, in Austin, Texas, back in 2009. But now I think we're in 11 states and 19 markets. So California, Washington, Colorado, Kansas, Missouri, Texas, Florida, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and then opening New York and Massachusetts and Ohio, I believe, are in the, in the talk. So, you know, we're, we're all over the place, but those are our states that we're in right now. That is awesome. So when you're part of a bigger organization, obviously you can have a bigger impact, a greater reach. So one of the benefits here is that you guys operate similarly to like a DSO operates and takes a lot of the weight off of dentists who might not want to be practice owners. So tell me how you go about finding dentists who are the right fit and what their workday might look like working with you. Sure. You mentioned in one of your past podcasts that you do a lot of administrative work, right? And so part of that takes away from the clinical dentistry of actually like hands-on serving these individuals. And so, yeah, we take that burden on for providers because we are a DSO. The way we find providers is we really look for people who want to do something different. And we have excellent providers across all of our states. And we find that what they have in common, and many of them practice in traditional dental practices, but sometimes they want to do something a little bit different, right? Like, so they'll work three days a week at their traditional practice, you know, seeing commercial patients, the general population, and then they'll spend a day or two a week with us serving seniors or adults with disabilities. 
what a day looks like for them. We go out as a team. We're a team of two or three, depending on the type of day we're having, if it's recall mostly or if it's treatment or if we're doing teledentistry, impacts the way our team is structured. Their schedule is made for them. Everyone's already confirmed. The facilities, if it's facilities, know that they're coming out. Families know that they're going to see their loved one, even if they're not there in person to be with their loved one, to be seen by the dentist. So lots of communication has happened beforehand already to really set up the providers to really focus on the dentistry. And then they see our patients, give the best care possible. We handle the rest. We handle all communications afterwards. So they'll have their team of an assistant, sometimes a scribe or a dental manager. Each state is a little bit different depending on our patient population, but that's in general how we set up our providers for success. Awesome. So I'm going to backtrack and dive even more into that and ask some pretty interesting questions here. So you're saying the doctors and the team who would include maybe like a scribe, as you said, or an assistant, they meet on site. So are you generally visiting people who are in residential communities or are people traveling throughout the day? So it depends. So the way Enable Dental started back then was we went to senior living facilities. So sometimes we might see one patient there, sometimes we might see five there. And it's not uncommon for us to see two patients in one facility, drive to another facility 15 minutes away, see another two or three patients there, so on and so forth. But we do personal residences. We go to senior living facilities, day hubs and group homes. So really, it's a mix of any of those throughout the day. And we're able to just see whoever really needs to be seen that day. Got it. So the doctor isn't bringing their equipment. The equipment's being delivered to the doctor. Depends on the market. So some of our providers, our team of three or two or three, will meet up at our office. We have a hub. That's where we do our sterilization, our administrative work. We have vans that we load up with all of our equipment and supplies. And so sometimes dentists ride with our team. And other times it's just the assistant and the dental manager or the scribe that'll load up the truck or the van. And then the dentist meets at the site, the very first visit. The group knows where they're supposed to be. So they'll either like follow each other through the route. Beautiful, beautiful. And then I know that this is a patient-specific question, so I'm sure it'll be a case-by-case basis, but you guys, you're able to offer even more advanced services than what I offer. I offer comprehensive care in my practice, but my limitations are like, I'm not doing endo in the home or I'm not doing a lot of fixed work. And usually the patients don't generally demand that, but those are services that you guys do offer as endodontic services and whatnot. So how do you go about doing that in these portable settings? So We don't do all types of endodontics. I just want to make sure that everyone knows we're not doing, you know, molar endo here and trying to find every canal using like a CBCT scanner, right? Like that's not what we're doing. But what we do is medically necessary dentistry. So I'm talking if someone is on bisphosphonates or blood thinners and can't get their anterior tooth extracted, you know, we'll do anterior endodontics. And that's a possibility in a portable setting. It's a lot simpler. And so we do find providers that are comfortable with that. But once it comes to fix, so we'll do bridges, we'll do crowns, we'll do dentures and extractions in a portable setting, making sure that they have the equipment and the tools that they need, right? So some of our providers really like serrated elevators, for example, and we make sure that they have that or periosteal. So we we want to make sure that our dentists are set up for you know, really challenging environments and not having to scramble for what they need. And so we do set them up for that. And we just set limitations. If our providers can't do it, some providers can do that difficult extraction of a root tip in a portable setting. And some providers are less comfortable with that. And so really just we really defer to our providers on what they think is not only necessary for the patient to receive, but also what they're comfortable delivering. That's wonderful because your model, because there's so many different providers, you can be 
more accommodating to like this provider might need this instrument or this provider might need this one. Where in my solo practice, I'm just kind of going by my own comfort level and the equipment that I tend to use and have. So yeah, you're right. I guess in a bigger group setting, there'd be a lot more variety of, of comfort levels and experience levels and equipment preferences and things like that. So hats off to you guys for coordinating all of that because I'm sure that that's a lot. Um, yeah. A lot of different providers. Like I know how it gets. We all have our own way of doing things. So very nice. And then as far as like keeping this sustainable. So for me, I'm a private practice person. A lot of the people who listen to this podcast are interested in starting a business similar to mine. And I highly encourage it because it's very simple because it's like you do the service, they pay you cash, check, credit, boom, boom, boom. And I'm not able in my model as a solo provider to be able to accept insurances because of the low volume of people that I'm able to see in a given day with house calls. So this is something that people ask me about all the time. And I want to know in your case with a bigger group, more providers, is the compensation very simple, the same as us? Or do you guys have more complex sources of how providers get paid or how patients pay you? You know, I think because each market, we have different types of payers. So in some markets, we do take Medicaid. And in some markets, we do take insurance. And in some markets, we do work very, very closely with managed care organizations or just different payers. And then there's some markets where we're like you're talking about private pay, traditional, like, you know, they don't have insurance and they would be private pay whether they want traditional practice or to you. Right. And so that's much simpler. And I think we try our very best to align dentist compensation with the market and what we're doing in the market. So we have tried to break into value-based dentistry. And so that isn't just that traditional fee-for-service paid on production or collections model, right? That's now we're paying on quality measures and taking risk alongside other organizations. So it really just depends. Our compensations for our providers vary, but we try to give very fair compensation to our providers. They're doing a hard job and we want them paid well. It's just funny because you guys don't have that simple like, boom, 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 here we go, 35%. You know, you guys have so much more to coordinate with all the different markets. We used to, that's how we started. It used to be just a very simple, you know, like percent of production. It wasn't even collections. It was just production because productions almost equaled collections because it was private pay, right? And so we did used to until we started to expand our case mix and wanted to be more accessible to those that couldn't be private pay. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's something that I know I struggled with in the beginning. You and I were talking before we began recording about how in the very beginning, I struggled to charge a dollar. for yeah, you know, Exactly. And then what value are you charging for you doing such a meaningful and needed line of work? Right. And it's tough because the need is there. It's obvious. And the affordability is a challenge for patients who maybe they can't pay for a third of the day of a dentist in their home. So that's tough. And it's nice that you guys have figured out a way to make it more accessible with working with other payers. So that'd be awesome. But I know that that takes a lot of work and I know it takes a lot of administration, You were, as you were saying. So tell me more about um, your administrative team or, or yourself, even your background. Like, How did you all get involved in portable dentistry? Well, for me personally, I was actually a dental assistant on the path to go to dental school. I was getting my master's in Clemson when I was a dental assistant and wanted to do something different to try to differentiate myself from other applicants. I had been a dental assistant for an endodontist in college, you know, general dentist. And I was like, oh, I've never heard of mobile or portable dentistry. That would make me stand out. And so I did that. And we were called Texas Mobile Dentists back then. We were just in Texas and I opened our Houston market. And one thing that I've heard frequently from new graduates or even private practice owners is they're not taught business in dental school, that running a practice and understanding how to be a good business person is not taught. You, you just learn on the fly when you're actually a business owner. 
And so I had told myself that, hey, let me defer going to dental school and let me learn how to open a market and learn how to do sales and marketing and all of this stuff that I was very fortunate enough that this company trusted me to do that back then. And then, you know, it's history. I started then expanding to other markets and other states. And now I do our large partnerships with organizations that well served by the traditional dental practice. So really mostly seniors or adults with disabilities. And so that's how I got into it. Really was supposed to go into dental school and dental public health was my calling and realized that you could do dental public health without being the direct provider, you know, and I hope if dental assistants or other people are listening to that, there are other paths as well. Like you said, you know, you don't have to own your own practice. You can work for a DSO that's trying to do innovative things. But also, if you're not a dentist, there's other ways to get into uh, public health and helping those in need. That's a very good point. And even as a dentist who does care to provide direct care, I can tell you myself, physically, like the portability aspect of practice for me is physically taxing. And I, I notice it more and more. So I'm thinking to myself, man, like if I'm going to have a career for 30 years, could I actually do this five days a week for 30 years? And the answer is probably absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So even for dentists who care about this and maybe they care about it with all their heart like I do, but I think physically I could probably only provide care maybe like three days a week in the long term. I'd love to spend my other time kind of advocating for like, as you said, like dental public health and things like that. So even if you are a dentist who's able to provide the care, there's still other ways that you can help the mission without providing direct care. So that's a good reminder of that too. That's awesome. So what is something that your providers come back to you with the challenges that are unique to their role at Enable versus like what you said, their traditional role where a lot of them are maybe part-time in an office and part-time on the road with you guys? Well, I think a lot of the challenges, one is this population, you have a lot of decision makers. In a traditional practice, you have the patient you're talking to in the chair is the patient who says yes to the treatment plan is the patient who will come back and schedule. So talking to an individual who has dementia, you deliver care differently and then it's understanding, hey, am I communicating? Well, am I giving that informed consent? How do they feel when you have a power of attorney telling you to extract the tooth that's infected, but the patient has dementia? So there's a really challenging emotional component, I think, to that. And then if you have new grads or those that are not exposed to this population, part of what they have in a traditional practice is a sounding board with other providers there to just talk through cases. I think that's really important for providers to be able to bounce ideas off of each other because nine out of 10 dentists agree on things because there's so many ways to treat a mouth, right? And so it's even further complicated when you have polypharmacy, you have a financial decision maker and a medical decision maker, and then you have finances to take into account. And then you have different types of diagnoses. Do they have medication that's giving them dry mouth, but do they have dementia that's preventing them from keeping a denture, right? And how do you treatment plan appropriately in some ways during end-of-life care? And so I think their challenge is really mostly that we see is how do you diagnose appropriately? How do you treatment plan at the appropriate levels? And how do you align that with the patient or the facility or the family? I think those are the biggest challenges because I think, you know, if a cleaning is a cleaning and dentistry is dentistry, I think that the emotional challenges and the approach is really the biggest differentiators between a traditional practice and here. Yep. And what you're mentioning, those challenges, I think that anybody who wants to take on portable dentistry, either for themselves or in a setting like yours, they're going to face these dilemmas, right? Like how do you treatment plan at the end of life? What is appropriate when a patient is not behaving or cooperating with something that their loved one 
their caregiver might have consented for them to have done. So these are definitely ethical dilemmas that your providers experience. I experience like I'd love to get in touch with some of them because I'm sure we have some great stories. But something that you said that I deal with less often than you probably or your providers, because when I'm in people's homes, I'm usually generally there with their family. So if I'm visiting a person who has dementia, it's because their adult child let me in in the front door and we're all there together to do these discussions in person. The caregiver is able to see their loved one's reaction to my suggestions and everything. So even if legally they're the consenting guardian, we can all kind of seemingly cooperate or work together and have very clear communication. In your case, when you are visiting residents who don't have their power of attorney or their healthcare proxy present, what do you guys do to be able to make sure everyone's on the same page? How difficult is that communication between all of those parties prior to the visit? You know, it's something we've gotten pretty good at because the way we get a consent form is that there is a decision maker that wants us to see this loved one, right? So there is a lot of communication prior. It's really understanding why they want us to see their loved one, their family member. Is it just they have no idea what's going on and they just want to know and we'll come up with a treatment plan from there? Or did they fall and they have a broken tooth and they want us to address that? And so really preparing them for, hey, beyond the line, if it's an extraction, do you give consent for us to do that extraction? And we try to talk through the finances beforehand. If we already know what we're going to address, you lost the denture, your denture broke, you have a broken tooth. Those are pretty easy. And then for ones that it's more mom or dad has not seen a dentist in five to 10 years, no idea. Then we say, we'll let you know afterwards. And that's how we communicate with the family or the responsible party that's there prior. So lots of this communication is happening beforehand. And then we also talk to the facility if they live in a facility. Typically, that's the case. And let them know when we're coming. Habits matter. Are they better in the mornings? Are they better in the afternoons? Are they going to Walmart during the day? Do they have a hair appointment? And they can tell us, hey, they take a nap time after lunch, so maybe we don't come after lunch. So we'll schedule them in the morning. So all of that's happening long before we see a patient to get the most ideal situation for our providers. And also so that if they need to provide treatment, same-day treatment to address an acute issue, they're not having to return or wait on us to do calling and hoping that the loved one answers. We've already done that work for them. So it's something that we've refined over time. We've been around for 14 years, and so it's something we're proud of, but most of this is logistics. Gotcha. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of coordinating and it sounds great that you're able to take care of it in advance. One thing that I notice, I visit a lot of people and I call it still like a house call because I'm visiting a person in their home, but it may be in that they are a resident in a senior living community, but I'm not arranging anything with that community. I come in as a guest and so I'm a guest of the family and I come in there. So it's interesting to hear that you are able to communicate so well with those communities because at least in my experience, They'd rather not know. (laughs) They're rather like, you're a guest. Like, you do what you got to do. So what would you advise a dentist to do if they're interested in working with Enable? How could they get in touch with you guys? So my personal email is joyce at enabledental.com. You can go to our website, enabledental.com. If they're interested, I think working for us is a really great way to see if portable dentistry is right for you. You don't know what it's like to work on your knees sitting, you know, right by a recliner until you actually do it, as I'm sure you've experienced. And so prior to opening up their own practice, it's a really great toe in the water to see that this is for you. And then, you know, really love what you're doing here, which is then empowering them to open their own practices and, you know, take from that what they want to do and build something from there. But Enable Dental, we're in a lot of states. So reach out to us. We are hiring in many places and we try to be a really great place to work for. That's awesome. Actually, before I let you go, have you ever had that experience? Has a dentist ever worked for you and they decided they wanted to do it on their own? 
You know, no, I think our dentists start enjoying what we do and all of the logistics coordination. I, it's more common that we have a dentist that opens up their own traditional private practice in conjunction and works with us a few days than it is them opening another portable bottle just because the coordination is just so heavy and so difficult. And they like showing up at the first facility with a route in their hands and just doing the care. And so it has yet to happen, but you know, I'm sure it can in the future. No, I'm glad you said that because there are so many people who wonder, like, if I become a house call dentist, do I have to abandon chairside dentistry? And it's like, absolutely not. <laughs> you can do both because physically, I really don't recommend full-time portable dentistry for anybody. So you can do anything else in the other time, working chairside or whatever else you want to do. Portable dentistry also has a teledentistry component to it. Our chief innovation officer, Dr. Suter, just won a teledentistry award in New York, I think last month. And that's part of that balance that we're looking for, right? Like being on your knees and carrying equipment five days a week, you know, may or may not be sustainable. And if it's not, we're able to do some teledentistry where maybe it's two days in person, two days at home while the hygienist goes out and does your recall and exams, and then another day doing private practice dentistry, right? And so your case mix can be pretty conducive to really just seeing a variety of patients. So lots of to consider. Yeah, it sounds like a very varied schedule, something that I know, like somebody like myself, I love that. Like I actually missed after my training during dental school, they're always rotating you through different clinics, through different specialties. You have so much variety in your day to day. And then it's almost like most dentists get out and they're like, here's your job. And here's the schedule. Here's your two ops. Yep. Yep. Right. And you're like, wait a second, I can't live in two ops <laughs> in the next three years. Like people enjoy variety in their schedule. So it's nice that you guys primarily work with dentists who have that because that's definitely what I would recommend for people. If they don't want to do this full time, you can still offer great value in, in a part-time portable basis. So awesome. Is there any last message you'd like to leave for the listeners? Let's see. I say there's many ways to do dentistry, lots of ways to advocate. We're about to go through what they call our silver tsunami, which a lot of our baby boomers are retiring. And there's so many different opportunities out there that is not just your bread and butter, traditional practice four walls that you're talking about. I mean, this could be everything from teledentistry to advocating for increased benefits for dental, right? Like there's so many ways to provide care or to be part of that movement. And so really challenging new dentists or providers to think outside the box. And there's just so much more to it than what we think. And it's really exciting now with AI and all that integration. There's so many things I think dentistry can do and it needs people like people listening to your podcast to innovate alongside all the other innovative industries. Well, awesome. Thanks for leaving us with that. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. And thanks for introducing this awesome concept of a portable dental DSO who serves the same patient population that I'm passionate about serving and offering a, a different route for my listeners too, if they want to get involved. So I really, really appreciate your time and how forthcoming you've been with all of this information for everybody. And I think this will be a great interview. I think people are going to love it. So thank you very, very much. Of course. Well, thank you for finding me, actually. I really enjoyed this. Me too. Wow. She was incredibly informative, wasn't she? It seems like if you're interested in being a part-time associate who offers portable dentistry, Enable Dental could be the group for you. I'm also impressed that as such a large organization, they're able to work with certain insurances in certain markets. Obviously, they have more success and scale when partnering with senior living communities. So I don't think house calls are their biggest offering, but it sounds like they do some of that too. Portable dentistry from a DSO is definitely different than private house call dentistry, but access to care is a win for patients in need. I'm grateful for the work Enable Dental does. If Enable Dental operates in your region, reach out to them to learn more. If Enable Dental isn't operating in your area, or if you just want to be self-employed and start your own house call practice, that's great too. That's what I did. 
It takes all kinds, and patients need your care. So if you'd like to start your own dental house call practice, consider joining Dental House Call Practice Academy. Dental House Call Practice Academy, or DHCPA, is an online course where I walk you step-by-step through building your own dental house call practice. Enrollment opens soon, so sign up to join the waitlist at residentalmovement.com slash DHCPA. I can't wait to help you build your practice. Thanks again for listening in. I really appreciate you. That's a wrap on this episode of The Residential Movement. If you like what you heard today, please leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you know someone who could benefit from this information, please share this with them. All of these actions help fuel the residential movement. Visit residentialmovement.com for show notes and for access to any links referenced in this episode. Thanks again for listening, Doc. Keep up the good work.